Good morning, good morning. Thankful that you are watching uh, with us this morning. My name is Ed Griffin-Hagen. I'm uh, one of the pastors on our staff, and we're so thankful that you're, that you're watching with us. And I know there's people last week, there was somebody, a couple of people from South Korea watching for Easter. They heard about the resurrection. So we're thankful that y'all are here this morning, and <clears throat> we are uh, starting a new series. I want to give you one quick announcement before we start that. We are hosting um, next Saturday, uh, Going Beyond with Priscilla Shire. We're making that available to y'all. And if you would like to join, you'll join that from your home. But we're making that available to you. And, I, and if you would just email us at info at churchonthetrail.org. Info, I-N-F-O, at churchonthetrail.org. We'll get the information to you. And you can, you can sit in your pajamas and, and listen and worship and, and study the Word of God um, with Priscilla. So just email us and let us know. But look, we're starting a new series today and the name of the series is, is Eyewitness, Eyewitness. And we're gonna, in the next few weeks, we're gonna look at four events that occurred after the resurrection. We studied, obviously, the resurrection of our Lord last week and we're gonna study over the next several weeks four events that happened on the other side of the resurrection. Today's message the title of today's message is The Eyes That Jesus Opened First. The Eyes That Jesus Opened First. And we're gonna look at an account that is only really fully in the, the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book of the New Testament, one of the Gospels, Luke. It's a story of uh, two credible witnesses of the risen Christ. And so we're picking this story up and it's Easter. It's, uh, it's Sunday. And it was Sunday afternoon of that first Easter. And verse 13, we know this because first verse 13 says that very day, that very day, which was uh, Easter Sunday, the resurrection day. And this fella named Cleopas and his buddy, and we're gonna, uh, <clears throat> we're gonna, we're gonna call his buddy because the scripture doesn't tell us his name. We're gonna call him nameless guy. So you got Cleopas and nameless guy. And the scripture tells us uh, uh, in Luke chapter 10 that Jesus had sent 72 of his guys out. And tradition tells us that Cleopas was one of those. So these two guys, they left Jerusalem's uh, west gate and they're head, headed to a village. The name of the village was Emmaus. Emmaus, verse 14, tells us that they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And it was an intense conversation, y'all. It was a deep conversation. They were looking, they were searching, they were on a quest, they were trying to figure out truth. What was the truth? About 15 or 20 minutes into that trip, a man that they didn't even recognize came and walked alongside of them. And verse 15 tells us while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. He drew near and he went with them. Verse 16 says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So somehow, God prevented these two guys from recognizing Jesus until Jesus was ready to reveal himself to them. Verse 17, and he said to them, he, Jesus, said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And y'all, this, this phrase, uh, this phrase, conversation that you're holding with each other, y'all, that's more than just a casual um, chit-chat, it's more than that. The language, the word is, in, in the original language is antibalo, and it is like a, 
a bantering back and forth. It's like they're, they're throwing a ball one to the other and the other one's throwing it back to them. And so this is a real genuine exchange of ideas back and forth. Um, and then in their, in their sort of bewilderment over all that had happened during that weekend, these two uh, are, are going back and forth about what they heard and what they uh, learned and what they understood. Um, and then what it all meant in light of what had happened that weekend, and that was the death of Jesus. Remember, this is Sunday. It's Sunday. He had just died on Friday. So the text says they drew, he drew near to them. He drew near to them as they were genuinely looking for truth, as they were genuinely on a journey, on a quest for truth, the Lord drew near to them. And so point number one really today is this. If you are honestly looking for truth, he will draw near to you. He will. If you're really looking for the truth, he will draw near to you. And then these two just kind of stopped and they looked at him and they're kind of dumbfounded and they're almost speechless. And verse 17 says, they were looking sad. Jesus' execution was about the only thing that people, y'all had been talking about in Jerusalem and, and it had been the tragic climax of a weekend that, or a week really that was full of intrigue, political intrigue and, and controversy and, and confrontation. Now, maybe, um, maybe using that word uh, 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 climax as, uh, the, that, the, that the crucifixion was the climax Maybe that was a little premature because of this new information that emerged that Easter morning, and that is that Jesus' body was missing. And there had not been an official statement, y'all, from, from the Jews. There had not been an official statement from the Romans, but there were rumors of resurrection. People were blowing up Facebook and Instagram and Twitter about all this stuff that was going on in Jerusalem. In verse 18, Cleopas said, are you... He's talking to this guy that he doesn't recognize. He's talking to Jesus, but he doesn't know that's him. He says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these last days? And he's like, dude, where have you been? Like, have you been in a cave for three days? Do you not, have you not heard all of this stuff that is happening? Verse 19, the man replies, what things? And then Cleopas and a nameless guy say concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Now think about it. At this moment, all this guy, his view of Jesus is just that he was a prophet. And yeah, a prophet, mighty in deed, but just a prophet. Verse, and he'd been with him. He was one of the ones that was sent out in Luke 10. And then verse 20 says, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And then I believe Cleopas paused and he took kind of a deep, sorrow-filled sort of breath and he continued, but, but we had hoped, y'all, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And his view of redeeming Israel was throwing Rome out and getting their land back. And then probably he wiped a tear and he started walking back on down the road. And he said, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And he's talking about this morning. It is Sunday, Easter morning. <coughs> they, 
they were at the tomb early in the morning and, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they continued on and they're walking in silence for a minute and then the, the, the stranger said to Cleopas and Nameless Guy, the very last thing, y'all, that they would have expected in verse 25, he said, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And Cleopas probably looks at this stranger and he's like, dude, who are you talking to? Like, what are you even talking about? And the man looks right into Cleopas's eyes and he says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, now that's the whole Bible. When Jesus refers to Moses and the prophets, he's talking about Moses being Genesis through Deuteronomy. Moses, the things that Moses wrote. And then when he mentions the prophets, he's talking about all the rest of the Bible. So in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So for the next two hours, two or three hours, this strange man walked a Cleopas and Nameless guy through the entire Bible from the beginning to the end. Now the entire Bible then, y'all remember, is the Old Testament, what we would refer to as the Old Testament. New Testament hadn't been written yet. So it's Genesis through the end of the Old Testament. And this man went through it all and explained all the references to Christ. And, and as he did, the fire of their faith that had died out on that hill outside Jerusalem when Christ was crucified, it, that fire kind of came back and it burned with this familiar hope, this hope that Jesus indeed was the Christ. Could it really be true? Jesus actually resurrected. So they're thinking, who is this man that's so beautifully laid out and connected all these dots. He tied all of it together. Who was this guy who at first seemed completely clueless? They thought there's something about him and so they walk in and the sun kind of hung low over the horizon as they are reaching this village of, him, of Emmaus and the stranger had given every indication that he needed to head on somewhere else. Verse 29 says, they urged him strongly saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. It seems like the language is they're, they're pleading with him to stay at least for the night. And verse 29 goes on and says, so he went in to stay with them. And so at dinner, the man took some bread, and he pulled the bread apart. And he gave each one of them a piece, and verse 31 says, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he, Jesus, vanished from their sight. And so here's the kicker, verses 31 and 32. I believe that these two got saved. I believe in verses 31 and 32, this is an image of these two guys making Jesus the leader and the forgiver of their lives. Verse 32 says, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, and again, it's the Old Testament scriptures that he opened up to them. And their eyes were opened and they saw who he was. Why do you reckon these guys were kept, the text says, kept from recognizing Jesus for hours? And I think the clue is in verse 25. 
He called them foolish. Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. So he called them foolish and he said to them that they were slow of heart to believe the scriptures. And so here's point number two today. Their outward inability to recognize Jesus kind of mirrored the inward unbelief at what the scriptures reveal about him. Y'all, that's what we do. Our, our outward or outward inability to recognize who he is, it mirrors what's going on inside. Now, Jesus fully intended to help, uh, to help these two see, but if you notice the priority of the way he revealed it to them, he opens up their physical eyes, he does, but he intended to open up the eyes of their heart. Well, why? Why, why does he need to open up the eyes of their heart, y'all? Because what is of utmost importance is that we and they walk by faith and not by sight. It is a heart thing. It's a heart thing. It can't just be a head thing. Yeah, I can view this book as just a little uh, self-help book, and, and maybe it's gonna help me to, to live a little better life. But it's gotta change my heart. It's gotta change my heart. And so how is it that Jesus did this? We did it with the word of God. It's how. He did it with the word of God. He always did it with the word of God. So when God ordains things to happen that don't quite meet our expectations, like Cleopas didn't expect Jesus to die, like Cleopas and Nameless Guy and, and all of the guys really their expectation was that Jesus was gonna run right in on a stallion and throw Rome out when, when our expectations aren't met, when your expectations aren't met, when something happens physically in your life or when you expect to get this job or that job and you don't, those are the times that we're totally tempted to doubt his word, to lose sight of him. But y'all, those are the exact times where we gotta spend hours searching his word. Now, Jesus knew that the time period between his resurrection and ultimately his ascension and his second coming would be what we call the church age. That's what we're in right now, the church age. And that means that every generation, every generation of believers, that we wouldn't have his bodily presence to, to teach us and to guide us. And so that means that we have to rely on the word. We gotta rely on his word and to, to, to do what Psalm 95 says, to light our path. So on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection and ascension, in the church age, Jesus will not be seen uh, uh, physically. He will only be seen through the testimony, the inerrant and infallible testimony of scripture and the imperfect testimony of believers. So it's in the word of God, which is inerrant and infallible, and then it's in, in my story. That's the two ways that, that, that he chose to use in the church age. And y'all, I believe that the takeaway, the big takeaway, the one big point today in this narrative in the book of Luke about these two guys in Christ on this road to Emmaus is that from page one of Genesis, it all points to him. It all points to Jesus. All of it points to him. God is sovereign and he has a plan and it's a plan for our welfare and it's a plan to give you hope in the future and it's a plan to buy you back 
from being a slave to sin and it's a plan to buy you back from all your fear. Now I want to do something now and I want, and, and, I, and, I, and this is Ed kind of interpreting this, but I want to walk us through what I feel like, what I think, what I believe this conversation in verse 27, that what this conversation looks like between Jesus and Cleopas and nameless guy. And this is Jesus talking, really. And, and I can almost see him kind of, they're walking down the road and he kind of puts his arm around, around him and he says, y'all, let me help you understand. He's walking them through all the scriptures, right? And he says, let me help you all understand. Some number of years ago, we created the heavens and the earth and every living creature. A few days later, we created a man named Adam and my father saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, so he created a mate, a helpmate for Adam, and her name was Eve. Life was perfect. Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with us, Jesus said. He said, Dad gave them something that he didn't give all the other creatures. He gave them the ability to choose right from wrong. My father told them, everything in this garden is yours. Just stay away from that one tree over there. If you mess with that tree over there, you're going to die. He said, Cleopas, there was somebody else there too and it was that nasty old serpent, Satan. And his sole purpose then and now is to deceive. And so he did just that. He deceived Eve. He deceived her into eating and messing with that, that one tree that we told her not to eat from. That serpent asked Eve, did God really say what you think he said? No, he didn't really say that. He knows that, that if you eat from it, you're gonna be just like him. So Eve ignored us. She believed the serpent. She believed the lie and she chose to eat from it and so did Adam. And we asked Adam about it and he blamed Eve and we asked Eve about it and she blamed the serpent. And then my father told the serpent something. He told the serpent something and that's recorded in Genesis 3.15. He said, I'll put my enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Guys, this is talking about me. He said, I'm her offspring. I'm the one that'll bruise the serpent's head. At the end of the day, Cleopas, I'm going to take him out. And did, did all this stuff in the garden, did it somehow surprise us? No. Nameless guy, my father's plan is still intact. And then Adam and Eve had three sons, but Seth was chosen for the plan. Eight generations later, Seth's great times eight grandson, Noah, was born. My servant, Noah. Now Noah's in the plan. Abba. Abba, which means daddy in Hebrew. Abba even said that Noah was a righteous man. We saw the world was corrupt, and my father told Noah that he was going to make a deal with him, and that deal is called a covenant. He told Noah to build a gigantic ark and that he was gonna flood the earth and he was gonna kill everything on it other than Noah and his family and a male and female of every animal. And so water came from the earth and it rained for the very first time and dad did exactly what he said he was gonna do, y'all. He always does what he says he's gonna do. And that flood continued for 40 days and when it was over, Abba promised Noah, Noah that he would never do that again. Noah had three sons. The one named Shem was chosen for the plan. 
Not necessarily because something was wrong with the other brothers, but because my father, myself, and the spirit, we do the choosing. Ten generations later through Shem's line, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran were born. And we chose Abraham to be in my lineage. Father told him to leave home and go to a place that he would show him, and Abraham believed, and he went. We promised to bless Abraham and to make him a great nation and to give him a land for his descendants. This is the second deal we made, and it's called the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham and his wife Sarah, they couldn't have children, but we promised him to make him a great nation, and he couldn't really understand how he could become a great nation if they couldn't even have kids. He didn't understand it, but he believed us anyway. My father is a promise keeper, y'all. Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, and the plan would run through Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Esau the firstborn and Jacob. And even though Jacob did some super deceitful things, we chose for him to be in my family tree. And by the way, from Esau came the Edomites, Don't forget this, Esau was Herod the Great's great, 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 great grandpa. And y'all are too young to remember this, but he's the king that tried to kill me when I was a baby. I digress, let's get back to Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons that fathered the 12 tribes of Israel. Our people had become a mighty people, but then we were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. We heard the cries and sent Moses to rescue them. And y'all know the stories. Our people have celebrated the Passover for 1,500 years. In the desert, my father told Moses, tell the people that if they obey and are faithful, then they'll be our treasured people. And this is the third deal, and it's called the Mosaic Covenant, and we're still working our plan. Our people wandered in the desert, but we were faithful to them, and we brought them into the promised land. It's your grandparents and your great-grandparents And shortly after the people conquered the land of Israel, there was a time of the judges. And during this time, Abba sent foreign armies to punish the people for their sins. And when they turn away from their sin, he'd raise somebody up to deliver them. Unbelievably, Cleopas, they did it over and over and over and over again. Wow, can y'all imagine people sinning and being forgiven and then sinning again and being forgiven and then sinning again and being forgiven. Really? Cleopas, nameless guy. Y'all, y'all remember the 12 sons of Jacob, right? And Judah was the fourth. We chose Judah, and the plan continued on through him. And a few generations from Judah, we had to do a little work, y'all, to get Boaz and Ruth together. Y'all can read about that in the book of Ruth. But we had to do a little work to get the two of them together and to keep my family tree intact. But their great-grandson, you know, was the shepherd boy become King David. We had great plans for that young man despite all the tragic mistakes that he made. We knew his heart, just like I know your heart, Cleopas, and yours, nameless guy. My father promised David that his throne would be established forever. It's in 2 Samuel, verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Here's another deal. This one is called the Davidic 
covenant. And y'all, I'm the forever that's in that promise. Speaking of David, he wrote Psalm 22. You know it. You've sung it in the synagogues with the choir master. Both of you have. David wrote Psalm 22 about me. Verse 16, they have pierced my hands and feet. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Bless his heart. David didn't even know what he was writing when he wrote some of this. He wrote about the crucifixion here hundreds of years before it even existed as a form of punishment. And y'all both know they cast lots for my stuff. It just happened. It just happened. And then there was Solomon who, you know, he built the temple right over there. You and your family's been sacrificing animals in that temple for years and years, fellas. Those sacrifices that y'all have been doing for years and years, they just foreshadowed the one sacrifice that I made for you just three days ago. And then a couple of hundred years after David in 722, your ancestors and some of mine were taken captive by the Assyrians about that same time my prophet Isaiah wrote in chapter seven. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Guys, y'all know Mary? We just left her house. She's the virgin that Isaiah wrote about here and I'm the son that he prophesied about. For 1,200 years, Cleopas, our people have talked about something else Isaiah wrote. His 53rd chapter. You know this one like the back of your hand, fellas. He was despised, that was me that is despised. Rejected by men, I'm the one that Isaiah wrote about that's rejected. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Guys, I'm the one that was pierced. Not because of anything I did, but because of what you did. What you did. I'm the one that was crushed for your iniquity. The text says, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. I was crushed for you. My wrist and my feet were pierced for you. Just three days ago is when it happened and it brought healing to all who believe. And it was written about me 750 years ago. Cleopas, it's all part of our plan. And I know your fathers and your grandfathers have told you about stories about kings like Manasseh and Ahaz and Jeconiah and Jehoram who did such evil things. And they also told you about Hezekiah and Josiah and Uzziah and Zerubbabel whom we blessed. And my father's plan included all of them, the good kings and the evil kings. My father's plan, you know about Rahab, the prostitute. My father's plan included her. You know about Tamar, the pagan. My father's plan included her. They all, they all have a place in my family tree. Zerubbabel, when he was king in Judah after the return from the second exile, my prophet Zechariah was prophesying. And he wrote this prophecy in chapter nine, in verse nine. He said, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, 
righteous and having salvation? Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? You tell me, Cleopas, how did I come into town last week? Was I riding on a camel? I don't think so. I was riding on a donkey. Zechariah was writing about me here. I'm the king who's bringing salvation to the world. And I could go on and on, Cleopas, nameless guy, but we're almost to Emmaus. Just know that from Bereshit Echad, and that's Genesis 1 for y'all that don't know my native language, from Genesis 1 to the end of the book, it all points to me. I'm not trying to be all that, but the reason why my word points to me is that I love you. The reason why my word points to me is so that if you will spend time in it, and y'all, I'm talking to you now too. If you will dig into my word, if you will dig into my word, and if you will honestly search for truth, Jesus says, I'll draw near to you. If you're honestly looking and searching for truth, Jesus says, I'll draw near to you. I'll illuminate the text for you. I'll teach you, I'll draw near to you. And you will find it and it will lead you into an eternal saving relationship with me. And so y'all, I believe that's the kind of conversation that took place on that road. And obviously we don't know the specific content of that conversation. Again, the scripture just simply says in Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So y'all, the entirety of the scriptures can be trusted. The entirety of the scriptures, that's what Christ used to prove who he is. The gospel, it doesn't begin at the beginning of Matthew. It doesn't begin in the beginning of the New Testament. It begins within the beginning. And then there's this scarlet thread that is woven perfectly through this whole book. And all of it, y'all, all of it points to Jesus. It's not an exhaustive history of the world. It is a redemptive history. It is a salvation history. It is Christocentric. Write that word down. Christocentric. That means that Christ is the focus of the whole book. It's a book whose whose purpose ultimately is to lead people to Christ. It is to lead people to the cross. Y'all, my encouragement to you today is if you're searching for truth today, and I mean really searching for truth, you got questions, you're looking for answers, you got doubts, you're looking to get those doubts taken care of. You're searching for truth. Press this book. Y'all pick it up, dig in it, read it, press it. It'll stand up. Try to disprove it. I tried to disprove it. But be honest in the search. Be honest in the search. Dig in and look for truth. And it'll stand up to the test. And I believe if you search the pages of scripture, if you search the pages of God's word, he will draw near to you and you will find him because I believe the primary way that the Lord communicates to, uh, with us today is through the word, is through his word. And man, can you think about these guys on that road to Emmaus? 
the very guy who is the word is the one that explained it to him. The very guy who wrote every word, he's the one that explained it all to him. He will illuminate the text for you today. He will teach you. He will draw near to you and he will give you understanding and discernment. And the purpose of that book is just to give you enough discernment ultimately to come into a relationship with him. And then as you grow and, and you walk through this spiritual growth uh, section season of your life and you dig into his word, he'll illuminate it, he'll teach you. You'll see things that you never saw before. You'll understand in ways that you never understood before, but you have to dig in and you have to be honest with yourself. So if you dig in and you're looking for truth, you'll find him and he'll convict you and not in some angry sort of way, but with love, with sacrificial love. That it happened three days before he had this conversation with those two guys on that road. But the gospel is throughout his word. And so if that, if that relationship is something that you are looking for, if that relationship is something that you, that you want and you desire it is available to you all the time. And all it takes is, is that, that conviction that I'm talking about. Let that conviction lead you to repent, which is just a turning from your sin. And so it's simply, I turn from my sin and I turn towards the Lord. And I believe that what happened on that cross so many years ago paid the penalty for my sin forever paid the penalty for my sin, and I believe it. So if that's you today, just repent and believe and ask the Lord to save you, and he will do it right now. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you today. And Lord, I know that there are people watching today, and I just want them to, to just sort of repeat these words. Lord, I believe that you are who you say you are. Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner that's in need. And Lord, I repent of that sin. I wanna turn away from it. And I wanna turn towards you. And Lord, I believe that you paid on that cross, that you paid the price for my sin. And Lord, I ask you to come into my life and save me right now. And Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, if that happened to you today, please let us know. Send us a private message here on Facebook. Let us know that you made Jesus the leader and forgiver of your life today. We just wanna send you a little something. We wanna pray with you. Uh, we wanna walk this next season of your life with you. We wanna support you, just let us know. And then if you have any prayer needs, whatever they may be, and Richard spoke about this a little while ago, let us know. Just let us know, because we want to pray alongside of you. We'll turn it back over, we'll pray one time real quick, turn it back over to the worship team. Lord, we ask you to be in the middle of this, this next song, this next worship, these words that we, that we lift up to you. Lord, we pray protection over our country, over the world. 
Lord, I pray that people in the time that we live in, that they would just dig into your scripture, that they would dig into your word, that they would seek your face. Lord, because I know, I know that if we do that, you'll draw near. And so Lord, I pray that people would look for you and look for your truth and Lord, I know they'll find it. They'll find you, they'll find your son. And so Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.